Hebrews chapter three. There may not be another message that is time appropriate than the one that we're gonna get today because we're gonna hear the second of five warnings in the book of Hebrews. And the second warning is this, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Most of us probably know that the number one killer of Americans is heart disease, arteriosclerosis, the hardening of the arteries so that the blood doesn't get to flow to and through the heart. Now, heart disease doesn't happen suddenly. It happens progressively. A heart attack is sudden, right? But heart disease happens over time. Now, the reason I bring that up is because the English word sclerosis really is in this text twice. And the writer of Hebrews is warning these Jewish Christians who were in trials and troubles and sufferings. And he is saying, amidst what you're going through, do not let your heart get hard. Don't allow spiritual sclerosis to take place and gradually over time, the life of Jesus, the life of the Lord, the blood of who he is, don't allow your heart to be so hard that he doesn't flow through you anymore. You see, you not only have a physical heart to take care of, but you have a spiritual heart that you are to guard and protect. That's why I think it's Proverbs 4, 22 or 26, one of those says, guard your heart above all else because it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else. You see, your spiritual heart is the headquarters of your life. Your spiritual heart is where you make decisions. Your spiritual heart is where your motives and your intentions and your desires are formed. And if your headquarters are messed up, tainted, stained, then everything that flows in it and flows through it is going to be the same. He says, protect your spiritual heart. Protect against spiritual sclerosis. What we're gonna find today, we're gonna hit four big points. We're gonna look at the warning of a hard heart, the example of a hard heart, the remedy for a hard heart, and then the consequence of a hard heart. Four very easy steps. And as we read this text, I, I'm gonna read it for us, but, but as I read this, see if you can point and see where I'm going. Warning, and then we have the, uh, what did I say? What's the second one? The example, I did write this. <laughs> Warning, example, and then we have the remedy and the consequence. See if you can track with me through this. Hebrews chapter three, starting in verse seven. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, when is this? Today, not yesterday, not tomorrow. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden 
your hearts, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, is what God says. Though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going, to astray, going astray and they have not yet known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, make sure, do the hard work. That's what he's saying. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As it has been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Verse 16, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not those who disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now, by this time, if you've been around for the last number of weeks, you know the context of this letter. You know that the writer is exhorting those Jewish Christians who are being persecuted on all kinds of sides, and they are thinking we are going to abandon our Christian faith and go back. We're gonna go back to how we used to live. We're gonna go back into Judaism. We're gonna go back into our old religious structure. We're going to abandon our freedom in Christ. We're gonna abandon the gospel and we're gonna go back. And what he is saying here is, this is a slippery slope and you are on this slippery slope of hardening your heart to the point where you can no longer hear the voice nor feel the presence of the living God. So hear the warning. He says it twice. It's so important. He's emphatic about this. He says it twice. Today, if you hear his voice, if you hear God's voice, and we're talking about a spiritual ear for a spiritual voice that speaks to a spiritual heart. Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. Do not turn away. Do not abandon. Don't do it. Now, in verse 12, he gives us an insight as to what a spiritual heart really looks like. Look at verse 12 again. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you, and here it is, has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now notice he calls them brothers and sisters. The very first thing he does is he acknowledges your family. He says, you have been born again. You are in the family of God. You have believed and trusted the gospel. Typically, when we think of a person having a sinful, unbelieving heart, what do we think? Well, that person's lost. That person's not saved. 
That person is not in the family of God. What he is saying here is it's not just lost people. It's not just unbelievers who have a sinful, unbelieving heart. It's possible for Christians. It's possible for followers of Christ to possess and have a sinful, unbelieving heart. How in the world does that happen? Well, let me tell you, let me give you a little definition of what exactly is a spiritual heart. How does this thing develop in a person who's been saved? They believe the gospel. They might come to church every week. How is it that they can have this sinful, unbelieving heart? Well, this is what a sinful, unbelieving, a hard spiritual heart, spiritual sclerosis. It is a heart that refuses to trust God when tested and obey God when commanded. A hard heart is a heart belonging to a believer that continually refuses to trust God when tested and obey God when commanded. So if you do that over and over and over again, if you stay in that space of not trusting God and not obeying God, your heart gets harder and harder and harder. And that's what he is warning against. He says, don't do it, don't do it. If you hear my voice today, don't turn away, don't deny, listen, hear what he is saying. Here is the warning. A hard heart is one that continually refuses to trust God when tested and obey God when commanded. Let's get personal for a moment, shall we? You're like, you already have, so why not? Has there ever been a time in your spiritual life when you just couldn't feel much anymore? What used to thrill you, excite you, encourage you, bless you spiritually, just doesn't do it anymore. Maybe it's the corporate worship, the singing of God's people and singing the praises that God would inhabit the praises of his people. It used to electrify you, you used to look forward to it, it used to move you, it used to thrill you, and now it's like, okay. Maybe it's the preaching of God's word. You used to, you just had an appetite. You couldn't wait to hear God's word preached, see what God was gonna say, how, uh, what you could learn, how he was going to redirect you. And, and now maybe you sit and you're like, I, I've heard this before. Why doesn't that guy wear a suit? You used to love to dig into God's word and it blessed you and encouraged you. It gave you strength, it gave you direction and now you just can't find the time. And when you do, it just seems dry. Seems irrelevant to your life. You used to love to pray, commune with God, and have a two-way conversation, you speaking to him, him speaking to you. And now, when you pray, 
It's just you throwing your requests up to him, and sometimes it feels like it's really not even going past the ceiling. What we're talking about here is a hard heart. If, if that's describing you to some degree, you just have to hear the warning. And if you're hearing the warning of his voice and, and you're saying, and that's me. And there are other things going on that I, I, I just know. Maybe the things that you used to think were sinful or harmful or to be avoided now you find yourself doing, thinking those things. And you find yourself making excuses as to why it's not a big deal. I hope you hear the warning. Spiritual sclerosis could be setting in. And the longer you stay in that, the harder your heart gets and the less a voice of God you can hear and the less presence of God you can feel. And it won't get better by itself. It just won't. So, okay, I, I hear that, Pastor Bob, but can you give me an example? That's what the Hebrew writer here does. He, he gives a very specific Example from the Old Testament. We find it in verses seven through nine, the example of a hard heart as the Holy Spirit says. Now, he says this. Now, it's interesting that David writes this. He is the writer and he is referring. So when he says the Holy Spirit says, he's referring back to Psalm 95. He is quoting Psalm 95, but he doesn't attribute it to David. He attributes it to the Holy Spirit. He like us, believe that all of Scripture is inspired by God. He is saying, God wrote this. Yes, David might have been pinning it, but God is the author. And he says, today, so he's, he's quoting, if you hear the voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. It says the Holy Spirit needs to remind you of Psalm 95. You remember what Psalm 95 is? Right off the top of your head? I mean, there are 150 of them. It's kind of hard to know what all of them say specifically, right? Psalm 95 is really all about God. It's a celebration of who God is. But it's also a warning for God's people. There's two parts of it. Psalm 95, verses 6 through 11. Come, let us bow down and worship. Celebration of God and God's people. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. David is writing to believers. He is writing and celebrating with other worshipers of the one true God. And then the warning comes, not to the lost world, but to the saved people. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in Meribah, as you did on the day of Massah in the wilderness where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. King David right here gives two ways that a hard heart develops. 
He says a spiritual heart hardens, first of all, when believers refuse to walk by faith in times of trials and testings. Your heart gets hard when you refuse, when I refuse to walk by faith in the times of testing and trial. David uses the example of the children of Israel in the wilderness during the Exodus. Now, keep in mind, the Hebrew writer, he writes this letter in about 60 AD. He goes back a thousand years to King David, somewhere around 900 BC. And then King David, he gets the example, and he goes back another 400 years to 1300 BC and the children of Israel. This is an important example. Now you remember the story of the children of Israel probably. You remember what God did for them. They're in bondage, they're in slavery to Egypt. It is a picture of lostness. It is a picture of every person who is lost without Christ. They are in bondage, that's the picture. They're in slavery. And God does miracle after miracle after miracle demonstrating his power. And you remember Moses on behalf of God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. And God sends 10 plagues. On the 10th one, finally Pharaoh says, get out of here. Like now, get out. Get as fast and as far away as possible. And so they do. Freedom. They have been rescued. They have been freed from the bondage of slavery. This is salvation. This is the experience. They have been freed. But then they come to the Red Sea. They don't know what to do. They, they, they can't get across this sea. And God does another miracle. He opens it up and they walk. The whole nation walks across on dry ground. They turn around and Pharaoh's armies, they decided, you know what, we want you back. And what happens? The walls of those waters collapse on the armies and drown them all. Rescue, there's protection. They get out of that and they are in the wilderness and they realize, man, we, we didn't stop by McDonald's on the way out here. We don't have any food. The kids are hangry, right? And everybody's going crazy. And God drops Angel food cake from heaven. I mean, just manna, manna, manna. Every day, all they need to satisfy their needs. Miracle. And then they get to Rephidim. And they realize, you know what? We don't have any water. They run out of water in Rephidim. And what happens? It says they began to question and quarrel and complain. Moses, you're telling us that you brought us all the way out of here into the wilderness to die of thirst? Now, why is it that they would think that they were going to thirst and die of thirst out in the wilderness after God had done miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle? Because they were refusing to trust God in the middle of their testing. Even though they had seen miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And you know what God said? God said, I am so angry with you. So angry. 
that you are not going to enter into the land that I have promised. You ever done that? You ever had a time, maybe it's a financial conundrum, it's a marriage crisis, it's a financial deal, it's a health crisis, it, it, something's going on and you freak out and you refuse to look back at what God has done for you time after time after time after time. All you can think about, all you can worry about, all you can struggle with is this issue that you're currently going in. And what he is saying here is this is what they did. They refused during the time of testing. See, the wilderness was the time of testing to strengthen them, to encourage them really, and prepare them for Canaan, the land that they were going in. Don't think of Canaan as heaven. We have, we have some songs that are just plain wrong on that. Canaan was not heaven because Canaan was still full of fighting and it was still full of difficulty. But God says, listen, I'm gonna go with you and we're going to, by faith, as you trust me, I'm gonna show you victory. Canaan is now. It is the struggle as we walk with God, but we see victories in our life and he demonstrates his power and provision. The wilderness is the time of testing. Canaan is the time of victory over those. And he says, listen, you don't get to go into the rest. You don't get to go into Canaan. You're gonna stay and you're gonna die in the wilderness. You see, there are a lot of Christians who die in the testing. They just can't get over it. They don't look back. They don't trust God. A hard heart is developed over time, doesn't happen instantly. It hope happens over time that during the testing, the financial struggle, the marriage struggle, the relational struggles, all of these things that you won't walk by faith. You won't trust God's heart. You won't be patient. And you'll try to do everything you can in your power to get the job done. And he says, that's what you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna die there if you allow your heart to stay hard. Someone said the same sun that melts butter hardens clay. See the same test, it can drive you closer or draw you closer to God or it can drive you farther away from God. It's the same test. You can see it, right? You've had Christians who've had marriage difficulties and it has drawn them closer to God. You have other Christians who go through the same difficulty and it's driven them farther away. It doesn't matter what test it is, you, you can look at it. God has his people in all of those to show the difference between the two. So one of the ways that spiritual sclerosis can happen is that a believer simply refuses to walk by faith in the times of testing and trial. And I would guarantee that if we went around this room, most if not all of us have some sort of stuff going on, right? Any, anybody? All right, I see one honest person in the back, all right. I'm, I'm talking to you back here, right here. Let me ask you, 
What's the level of trust and what's the demonstration of faith that you're showing right now in the midst of your trial and the struggle? That will, that will really give you a gauge on your heart and the health of your heart. Children of Israel, they decided they were not going to fix their eyes on God. They, they were, they were going to try to figure it out themselves. They were even willing to go back into bondage. I mean, think about that for a moment. They were willing to exchange the freedom with God for the bondage of Egypt. Isn't that crazy? They would rather go back to the familiar than walk by faith in the unfamiliar. You see people doing that all the time. I'm just gonna be comfortable in the pain here rather than walk by faith and, and see what God is going to do and obey him and trust him. So there's a second aspect. One aspect of a development of a hard heart is a believer refusing to walk by faith in times of testing and trial, but also a believer then refuses to live in obedience even when God orders them, commands them to do so. You realize every time you say no to God, every time you refuse to obey, it just gets easier to disobey. Every time you refuse to trust, it gets easier the next time not to trust. And what he is wanting is a sensitive heart, keeping that spiritual heart sensitive to him, excited in him, encouraged by him, blessed by him, obedient to him, trusting of him. And the testing and the trials and the suffering are a part of keeping that heart sensitive and obedient. Look at verses uh, 10 and 11. He uses a second illustration of a hard heart. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my way. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now again, the Hebrew writer, he is quoting the Old Testament, but he is quoting a different portion. Still of the Exodus, but it's, it's a different part. Now it's Numbers 13 and 14. This is after Rephidim. In that, Rephidim, you remember that God said, uh, change the name. Call it Massah, call it Meribah, and that, that meant testing and quarreling. This is no longer Rephidim. This, this is what you guys did right here. They get through that. God leads them through that, and they get to a place called uh, uh, Kadesh Barnea. Now, the Bible says it was kind of an oasis, and it was right as you go into the promised land, at right as you go into Canaan. This is the land that God had promised not only to them, but to Abraham generations before. And Kadesh Barnea was that last stop. And it was an oasis. It, it, it was kind of a paradise. And they, they were celebrating that they had just gotten to that. And God said to Moses, send 12 spies into Canaan, check it out kind of a recognizance kind of thing, reconnaissance kind of thing, and, and see what's gonna have to be done. Come back and, and we'll lay out the plans and go in. 
12 spies come back. They all have the same report. It is better than even what God had said. It is a, a land overflowing with milk and honey. It is unbelievable. There are grapes the size of your head. I mean, it's just unreal. But, and all 12 said this, there are giants in the land. There are some severe adversaries. 10 of the spies said, they are so big and so bad and so mean and so ugly, we need to stay right here. We cannot go in, we will be defeated. Only two, Caleb and Joshua said, yes, they're big. Yes, it is gonna be tough, but our God is bigger, our God is greater. He's going with us, we must go into the land. The one who brought us out of Egypt will certainly take us into Canaan. Now, here's where the majority is not always right, right? They believe the majority report, and they refused to go in. And God said, you're going to die right here. Remember that he said every uh, adult male over 20 is not going to enter in. You're gonna stay right here in the wilderness. What was meant to be a two week journey to prepare them, to strengthen them, to increase their trust and their hope and their delight in God. It was supposed to be a two week walk turned into a 40 year journey. Now keep in mind in the Bible, Egypt represents lostness, bondage, slavery to sin. The wilderness is a time of testing and trial. We've been brought out of bondage by Christ, by what he has done on our behalf. But it's, uh, have you noticed when you're saved, it doesn't mean you're just problem free and life is a cruise, roses and problem free. No, this place isn't heaven. Have you noticed? Some of you are looking at me like, can you go back to the patriotic sermon? <laughs> Canaan, so you have Egypt, that is bondage. We've been delivered out of bondage, bondage of sin, and into the freedom to walk with God. Wilderness was still a walk with God. God was there with them, even though it was not easy. It was meant to be a time to strengthen them, trust in him, obey him, and then enter into Canaan, which was victory in the trials and the troubles of life. That's what Canaan represented. He says, you go in and you're gonna fight for this. It's gonna be difficult and hard, but I'm gonna be with you and, and you're gonna overcome. But, but, but you're gonna have to fight and I'm gonna be with you. Today, we have these wilderness times, right? And they prepare us for Canaan. We, we get to go in and we see victories over testings and trials and suffering and God is with us and we grow stronger and we see what God is doing and has done. Problem is, Children of Israel said, you know what? That is too hard, that Canaan thing. There are enemies there. That looks awful. Let's just settle right here. This is good enough. We have a lot of us who are right here. We're settling for the wilderness. And some of us have been in the wilderness of testing so long, and we've been lacking trusting God and obeying God that we think this is where we're supposed to be. And it's not. And he says, I was so angry with them that I said, 
that most of you are going to die in the wilderness. You realize if you put your finger on a hot stove, you can sear, right? You can sear your fingers. You can sear the nerve endings where you don't feel anymore. You can sear your heart to the point where you can no longer hear God. Not saying that you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that you're not a believer. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. But what I'm saying is, we're going to see at the very end, the consequences, you can't enter into the rest of God. That's Canaan. You've seared your heart to the point where this is where you're going to die. That's why the warning is so important to hear. If you still can hear, that's why some of you are not hearing this. I'm, I'm sure of that. Your heart is so calloused and hard, you're going to die in the wilderness. Who I'm really speaking to, those of you can still hear the voice of God. And you still have a choice. You can respond to not hardening your heart. Now, there, there is some good news here. You're like, man, this is heavy on. I, I just came to celebrate America. There's some good news because there's a remedy, and he gives a twofold remedy here. One is implicit, and the other is explicit. The implicit remedy is examination. Part of the remedy of if, if you are developing a hard heart, spiritual sclerosis, it's examination. He says, see to it, make sure, do the hard work of examination, you you, you, you do the hard work. Examine yourselves, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Listen, that's not a history lesson from the Old Testament. That's meant to be personal application, that we learn from the mistakes of others so that we don't go the same direction. That's what he's talking about is personal application. What he is saying is this, if you do what they did, you will get what they got. If you do what they did, you'll get what they got. Some of us don't hear that. We're staying right here in the wilderness because this is what we're familiar with. And to trust God and to obey God when we don't know exactly how it's all gonna turn out, it's too risky. So we're just gonna stay right here. I'm telling you, you will develop a hard heart. I, it was years ago, maybe four or five, ten years ago, time gets by me, but American Heart Association, their slogan used to be, take care of your heart. Pretty easy slogan. Take care of your heart. What it meant was this. You only have one heart, and it's up to you to take care of it. Now, it's great to have doctors, and it's great to have surgeons, and it's, it's great to have medicines and all of that, but listen. Nobody can take care of your heart for you. You have to do it. And that's what he's saying here. Examine your heart. This morning, what's the status of your heart? How hard is your heart? We, we do heart checkups. We go and they, they put all these things on you. If you're not old enough, got something to look forward to. <laughs> they check your heart out and tell you in the EKG. Let's do a little diagnostic here. Ask yourself this, is your heart cold? Is your heart cold? When it comes to the worship of God, when it comes to the word of God, 
when it comes to the people of God, when it comes to the mission of God to reach a lost and dying world, because you're, you're just like, man, I, I don't feel that anymore. Is your heart cold? Here's a second diagnostic question. Is your heart critical? Every time you turn around, you're, you're criticizing, criticizing the pastors, you're criticizing the leaders, you're criticizing the church, you're laughing about sacred things. Forgiveness is not easy. You find that you are holding grudges. And every time something goes wrong, you say, see, 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 see. Hard heart is a critical heart. Here's a third diagnostic question. Do you have a cynical heart? Always judging and doubting the motives of the people around you, the leaders in your spiritual life, whether it be a small group leader, a deacon, a pastor. What's in it for them? What are they really saying? What are they really trying to do? You have a cynical heart? Those are some diagnostic questions to help you see where your heart is right now. There's a second aspect of the remedy, not only examination, it's personal, but then there's an explicit exhortation. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. You see that word encourage, but encourage one another. It's parakaleo. One of the words that we get, paraclete, which is Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes alongside. That's what that word is. The one who comes alongside. The Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and points us to Christ. We are, as believers, to come alongside one another and encourage one another, exhort one another, and even correct one another in our spiritual lives. He says sin is deceitful. You realize that you can be so entrenched in sin that you don't even see it anymore. You're in a relationship that is ruining you. And you know it's deep down. You know this is a wrong relationship. I need to get out of this relationship. This is not what God has called me to. But you've been in it so long. And the fear of loneliness or what is ahead is, is I, I can't do that. I'm, stay, I'm staying right here. And someone has come alongside you, encouraged you and said, listen, I don't think that's right think you're in the wrong place was your reaction who do you think you are or was your heart you know that's what I've been sensing that the Holy Spirit's been telling me as well listen when you see someone failing in their spiritual life to say nothing to not encourage them exhort them or help in correcting humbly to do nothing is not humble, it's not loving, it's prideful, and it's sin. When God gives you eyes to help someone who is struggling, 
and to do nothing. Sin. Because we've been called to come alongside. You realize that a lot of times I say the things up here, not because I'm like, man, this is going to be zinger, and this is really going to get him and get her and get him. Man, I can't wait. There's sometimes I don't want to say what I'm about to say, but I say it because I know it's the right thing to do. And however you take it is on you. I'm going to try to say it with as much sugar as I possibly can because I want it to go down. But I know at the end of the day, some of you will spit it back in my face. That's just the way it has to be. And sometimes God has called you to come alongside because he's given you eyes to that person and their struggles. And to say nothing is not loving. It's actually unloving to that person. When someone does come to you and says, hey, I, I love you and I love you enough to have the courage to say to you, man, I, th- I think you're going the wrong direction. You need to listen to that person. You, you need to thank that person. They don't do that. Try to show you their dominance. They come to you in a loving, humble way. They care about you. And God is saying, listen. So it's both sides, right? I need to be one who is willing to go with love and courage. But I also need to be one who receives with humility. And here's that it's the voice of God. Here's the last thing. I know some of you are like, praise God. Here's the last thing. The consequence of a hard heart. The consequence. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? These are people who have been freed. These are God's people. Who are these who died? Who are these that God got angry with? Who are these who had a hard heart? Were they not the ones who were saved? Were they not the ones who were in bondage but experienced the freedom of God? That's what he's saying. Yes. And God said to them, these saved people, these family of God, he says to them, you will not enter my rest. Now, again, when we read that, sometimes we think, they're not going to heaven. It's not what he's talking about. This rest here, certainly there's an aspect, and we'll get to that in chapters ahead. There certainly is an eternal rest that when we trust in Christ, that his sacrifice on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, that when we place our faith in him and saved by him, that we are promised eternal rest. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a Rest right now in the present that is real. What he's talking about is a rest that as we trust the heart of God and we obey the word of God, that in the midst of the difficulty, we experience victory. He says that that's rest. In this life, that's what rest is. There are Christians living in defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat. And God is saying, it's because you won't walk by faith and you will not listen and obey my word. You can get to the point where you will not enter into God's rest in this life. You're gonna die in the wilderness. And I'm up here telling you, if you can still hear the voice of God, Don't harden your heart. When is the day to hear the voice of God and repent and believe and trust 
and obey. When is it? One of the most dangerous words in the dictionary is tomorrow. Yesterday is gone. Tomorrow is not promised. All you have is today. Today, if you can hear his voice, and he is speaking to you, do not turn away. Because you don't know how many more opportunities you have before you can no longer hear his voice. Father, these are words that we need to hear. Not just us, but the whole church. And I'm asking that by the power of your spirit, not because of anything I am or what I've said, I'm nothing. But Lord, that they would hear what you have said. Those who have never trusted that today would be the day that they believe and trust in Christ, that they are saved, they're brought out of bondage of Egypt into freedom in Christ, and yet they understand that it's not going to be the easy life, but it's one that they'll not be alone. That as they walk by faith and they obey your word, that you will and you promise victory. Lord, those who are in the middle of the wilderness now, Lord, please amplify your voice in the hallways of their heart. Help them not to turn away, but to trust in you and obey. Help us to hear the warning, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people say.